Today's show is brought to you by... How the fuck should I know? Nobody tells me anything. Welcome to Down with Joe DeRosa. One topic, one guest, one hour. And today we talk about the afterlife. Because everybody asks that big question, what happens when we die? Where and how do we end up? What exactly is the next reality? Is it a higher existence that can only be attained through spiritual transcendence? Or is it just dirt? God, if you're out there, if you exist, please don't let it be dirt. The thought of that not existing, rotting away in the ground, quite frankly, scares the shit out of me. And I've never been a fan of those emotionally detached types that say things like, don't care if death is just blackness. I won't know any better anyway. I'll be dead. You sound dead now. I can't possibly understand how any living person wouldn't find it utterly dreadful that when their physical machine finally kicks out, there's a chance their consciousness will too. Does that mean I believe in heaven? No, but I want to. Heaven seems like the best case scenario to me, hence the name, heaven. Reincarnation doesn't sound too shabby either. I realize that if we have led or do lead several separate lives, we're not really granted the privilege of vividly remembering them, which is sort of like living only one life in the first place. But hey, I'll take that. The comfort of knowing I might have once been a knight of the Crusades or maybe one day will be a beautiful Broadway ingenue is enough to keep me going. Hell, I'd even come back as a bird or a possum or a fruit fly, anything, anything other than being forced to cease. It might sound crazy, but when I hear those old ghost stories about souls condemned to walk the earth or forever tortured spirits wailing about in limbo, I exhale a sigh of relief and think with great hope there's a chance for a promising future. I watch ghost hunting shows, YouTube videos of proposed demon possessions, and listen to anybody willing to share a story of a potential supernatural experience, all in the hopes of finding one kernel of proof of an afterlife. I even considered reading that book, Heaven is for Real, which was inspired by the near-death experience of a four-year-old. And why? Why am I so obsessed with finding an answer? Well, like I said, I'm afraid to die. But perhaps more importantly, confirmation of a further existence might help make sense of why things play out the way they do for us here and now why we live, why we die, and why so many of us die young. I actually have a theory on that, why the good die young. Maybe they're too advanced for this primal reality. That's why the truly righteous people are always perplexed and frustrated by the surroundings they're always attempting to change. They're out of step because they're out of place. They deserve a better and elevated plane, so they leave us through what we perceive to be senseless or unfair circumstances, but those circumstances are the only way to expedite them from this harsh realm to the enlightened one they deserve. Well, that's a theory. And theories are great when you don't have any living proof because theories comfort us. And they also make for great discussion and discusses what I'm here to do. So allow me to introduce my guest. She's had an incredibly versatile career. I saw her first as a cast member of probably my favorite sketch show of all time, Mr. Show with Bob and David. After that, she went on to become a writer, the head writer, of the Ellen DeGeneres show and the Rosie show, in fact. She's been in some absolutely killer movies like Punch Drunk Love and The Anniversary Party and starred in the Glasgow-based sitcom The Book Club. Also, not a stranger to stand-up, her new album Live at the Bootleg is hilarious and available now. If you ever see her playing live, go be a part of that. And since all of these other accomplishments, 
She's now settled in at the Pete Holmes Show, where she currently serves again as a head writer and a person willing to share an office space with me all day. She's a miracle. She's my boss. Karen Kilgariff, everybody. Let her hear it. Yay. Hi. Oh, wait. Do I cheer for myself? <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> I was glad you cheered because I never said let her hear it before. And I was like, oh, wait, there's nobody to, to let her. Let me hear it from your cubicle at your job right now. Yeah. Welcome to the show. That How was are you? one of the best inter introductions I've ever gotten. You hit every really valid thing I've ever done in my life. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I, well, I mean, that's important to me. I feel like with the intros, it's two things. I feel like it's the chance for you to let the guests show that they're appreciated, that you appreciate what they do and why you like them as right. an artist, you know? Yes. So you point those things out. But I also get such, like, inspiration. I don't know if you ever see the guy that does Q Radio from Canada. Mm. Oh, yes. You mean musicians that go on there and they play and then talk to him? Yeah, it's usually always musicians, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I have seen that. I can't remember the guy's name. I'm embarrassed that I can't. Um, I've seen him interview comics and actors too, but it's mostly music. But he gives the best intros. Yeah. And when I would watch that, I thought, if I ever do a podcast, I'm really going to try to hit like the stuff that meant something to me about the guest. Yeah. The way he does. Yeah, yeah. It's like a fan intro almost of like, this is these are all the reasons I like you. Yeah. And then you go like, oh, yeah, that's right. Like my... <laughs> Uh, Guy Bronham, who we you saw at Flappers when we did that show mm -hmm. uh, the night before you were there, um, he did this thing on stage where he goes, I don't know why Karen Kilgariff doesn't brag about the fact that she was in a British sitcom. <laughs> if I was in a British sitcom, I would say it all. And he did like a bit about it. And of course, I loved it because I, I actually forget sometimes that I was on that show. Yeah, it was funny when uh, when they told us you were going to work with us. I. Uh, I knew who you were, but again, it was mostly for Mr. Show um, and the movie stuff you had done. But I went on IMDb to see the other stuff, and when I saw that, I was like, wait, this this isn't the same person. This can't be the same person. How was she in a, wait, what? Where was this? Yeah, that's kind of how it was for me. It literally was. I sent in a videotape to England right. and got the part like through VHS. It was super weird. And it was the most fun. It was like the greatest experience. And then I just came back here and like no one knew I did it except for my small smart circle of friends. And then like recent, like about a year ago, I was in South Pasadena getting at like an ice cream shop. Mm -hmm. And this woman goes, oh, I just saw you in the book group. And I was like, wow. It was like the only time I've ever been recognized for it. Yeah. That's great. You're yeah. the one person that ever booked something from a VHS tape. I know. Going on tape. Nobody ever books going. For those of you that don't know, sometimes you audition for things and... Uh, if you you know if they're reading people in New York in L.A. and you live in New York, they'll say, "Well, put yourself on tape," which these days just means almost skyping it in or something, yeah, or, exactly. or your iPhone, whatever. But you just have to set up a video camera and videotape yourself, and then send them the tape. And it's notoriously horrible. You're like in a basement, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, auditioning to nobody. There's like a stuffed animal across from you. You suddenly become like your own. Uh, like you've kidnapped yourself and you're in your own terrible basement, like being forced <laughs> yeah. to make a tape. That's and, the way to get out of it. And the it's hopeless. Yeah. Like you're doing this thing where you feel like you just want to go, like you read your lines and then at the end go, forget it. Like mm -hmm. that's, that, it was insane. Yeah. I mean, well, l l let me tie this. So this is going to be such a shitty way of tying this. Perfect. In, the subject. Awesome. But I, there is there is truth to what I'm about to say. Uh, I'm being honest. I, the fact that you got to go over there and do that, 
That's so cool. That's such a life experience that most people never even get to visit England. Yeah. Even if they have the means to do it, they just don't go anywhere. Um, and you got to go over there and live there and work there. And those are the kind of things that would make me less afraid of dying. Because a therapist told me once, you're not really afraid of death. You're afraid of not getting enough done while you're here. Yeah. I guess that's true. Yeah. You know. Um, but you almost, I feel like you don't know. Like I would have never... I didn't look at it that way. It was like a thing that came up. It was a call that happened. And I feel like that's the way I've lived my whole life. As you say it now in a long list of things, it's like, fuck, yeah. But at the time, it was just I had moved to L.A. and I was trying to do the things everyone else was doing. And it was always the I was just comparing myself to the people that were doing more than me. And it was never enough. And it was always that kind of stuff. So it's it's nice to be kind of older and then look back and be like, oh, I have done things because as I did them, I never I didn't appreciate them no. or I didn't believe I should have them. There's there's also that kind of lame, uh, you know, having low self-esteem and being like, why did they pick me for this part? This was a huge mistake. You know, oh, my you God. Kind of ruin your own good time. I do that everything I ever get. I, think I know. That. I'm like, this is that the, the, I'm going to get exposed. The, yeah. I'm a fraud. I'm a fraud. You know, I lucked into another thing. They'll figure this out and end my career soon enough. I know. It's terrible. I mean, well. Here's the thing, though. The reason I have such fear of the, you know, lack of achievements or whatever in my life, you know, as I progress and I want to keep amassing more and get more and more done or whatever, it's because I, in my heart, I hate believing it. But in my heart, I I think the most probable thing is when you die, that's it. It's blackness. Yeah. And that really freaks me out. And I, I meant what I said in the intro. I don't understand these people that say things like, who cares, man? You're dead. It'll just be like you don't even you won't even know. And it's like, but doesn't doesn't that freak you out? The idea of like the, the oblivion, like eternal blackness forever, <laughs> nothing, never existing ever again, and then slowly being forgotten. That also freaks me out. Oh, I remember I got so depressed watching The Odd Couple one night. It's one of my favorite movies. I love it so much. It's so funny and so charming and so sweet. And I got terribly depressed with it one night because I was watching it and I was like. Average kid today probably doesn't know who Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau even are. Yeah. They did all this great work, and now it's slowly fake. And I start to focus on that instead of focusing on, but somebody like you does know who they are and right. appreciates it and remembers it, and will show it to your kids or whatever. Right. But that's also just the inevitable, that's the inevitability of all humanity is like, you know, that there are very few Edgar Allan Poe's or Shakespeare's or these people that kind of uh, survive through millennia. Well, I don't know if millennia is the right word, but, but, you know, centuries or whatever. Very, very few. Right. Most people are forgotten. Most people are forgotten. <sighs> I just got like a chill when you said that. A bad chill. Not good goosebumps chills. <laughs> that, <laughs> that would was be a creepy. bad chill. Yeah. Ooh. But I also think that there's the, the people that you're talking about that say like, who cares, man, you're dead or whatever. That the first thing that comes to mind is like scared. I just that would I would that's what I would say back to that person who was saying that you're scared and you yeah. figured out this rap that you reply to people with to make yourself feel better when they go, this is the thing. This is this is why everybody does everything they do. It's like right. everybody's afraid to die and everybody wants love. So that's right. why they're doing everything good and bad that they do. What do you think happens afterwards? I had to tell you, I, I am not sure. Um, I, d I want to stay in a place of not being sure. My worst fear is the blackness. When I was really young, like this is one of my earliest memories. I think I was probably four years old. It's very odd. 
I remember standing over a heater vent and looking out my or the back window of my family home, and I had this thought hit me: when you die, you're dead, and it goes on and on, mm-hmm. and it never ends. And in my mind, I was imagining outer space of mm-hmm. like just floating in space forever. But it was exactly what you were just saying. It's nothingness forever and it doesn't end. And even when you think it should end, then it doesn't end some more and it's another forever. And it was like this insanely huge, I'm not bragging, but I think (laughs) I was a super genius. Um, No, but I mean, it was the craziest thought to have and it really scared the shit out of me really badly as a very young child. It's amazing because now here's, place this is what i love is discovering uh, in, through these discussions where i really connect with somebody because i always have a hunch that i connect with somebody <laughs> but i feel like when we can sit down and talk like this this is where you really figure it out i as a kid i don't i can't say i pinpointed it as a fear of death but as a child as early as third grade this is such a vivid memory i remember waking up for the first day of school uh for third grade my dad waking me up and leaving the room. And I mean, literally the waft of dread that came over me, not because the kids at school are going to pick on me or uh, I don't, you know, I, I don't think I'm smart. Enough. None of that stuff. It was literally the, the sensation of or the realization of I can't believe I have to go through another year of this. Shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. It was fully realized. It wasn't worded like that, um, but it was fully realized. And I remember just day after day, particularly during that time in my life, after school, just sitting and looking out at the dead grass where we lived and, and, and just there being nothing, there being no... I, where I grew up is fine. It's a nice suburb and everything, but it's not a culturally explosive place, <laughs> you know? Uh, and, and, and just looking out and just without understanding why I felt like that, knowing I felt like that. Yeah. And I think ultimately this is now manifested itself with my fear of death because it was the same thing back then. It was seeing the wall and going, the, the, I, the end is in sight and I, I can't, there's, what do you do? What can I do? I'm not doing anything worthwhile. I'm just sitting here and everything's dead around me and there's nothing there's no color and there's no, nothing's popping. And you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I love that as a child, you had those, those weighty thoughts as well. Yeah. Because... Kind of crazy, like <laughs> uh, very difficult to manage. And it was almost like, you know, you could say it was anxiety or there was something else going on for sure. But I mean, having just like almost like a ripple effect of holy fucking shit, like yeah. really tripping myself out. Um, I also think that that is connected to being raised Catholic. So you have oh, this sure. awareness of of death and you, you know, he is risen, he comes back and all all these things that come to you when you're not of an age to really process it correctly as what it actually mm-hmm. is, I mm-hmm. think. Um, but more as a literal thing of, uh, you know, yeah, dying, no. the, the he- heaven, hell, dying, living your life you know, in, in service to this religion so that you can get the good thing and you don't go to the super bad thing. Right, right. I The Catholic thing's interesting because I was also raised Roman Catholic and um, there was the guilt, the just burdensome guilt that comes yeah. along with that. Yeah. It, it, it's always 
the answer is always death. It's always you did this and now you will die in some certain way. Yeah. And for instance, sex. I had disease paranoia with sex well into my early 30s. I mean, un completely irrational, unrealistic. And I was the safest person sexually, never took any risks, nothing. Uh, and had utter, utter disease paranoia in two ways. Either I'm going to contract the big one, I'm going to get HIV, and I'm going to die. Because that's what happens when you have promiscuous sex. <laughs> yep. Or sex without love. Or I'll get another permanent social disease. These were the only ones I worried about. The big one or the, or the, or the permanent ones like, like herpes or, or uh, HPV or, or one of those that would be reoccurring. Because that, in its own way, could be a social death. Yes. Now I have this thing that takes me out of the game with at least a certain percentage of people. Uh, and, and now that part and, of me is dead. And you got that you're being punished because exactly. because you went against the agreement. Exactly. And you deserve it. Exactly. So you, you take, it's like that thing where uh, grappling with the idea of hell, which I started to do like when I was in high school, which I think many Catholics do. After a while, you start going like, sorry, can we wait? What? And it was that idea that like, my thing was, okay, so you, you did, you know, say you were just your standard bad Catholic or you didn't murder anybody, but you were bad. Right. So you permanently go to hell and burn forever for, for being, right. you know what I mean? Or whatever ring you're in sure. or whatever. But then also Jews are there because uh -huh. they didn't get baptized. Like that <laughs> it was that kind of thing. I swear to God, I dated this guy in college that was a crazy born again Christian right. who he kind of like snuck it up on me after we started, you know, like the first week we were dating where I was like, Ooh, I'd love for you to come to my church. Where I was like, wait, what the fuck? And he was like, I just, I really want you to get saved so that you don't burn in hell. And the one I, <clears throat> at first I was like, yeah, I guess he's right. Uh -huh. You know, it was that kind of thing of like, maybe <laughs> he's really cute. Yeah. And yeah. then I thought, this this thought came to me where I was like, so I'm sorry, Andy Kindler is going to for sure burn in hell. He was the first comic I ever met, and I loved him so much. And he was like the greatest person I ever met. And I was like, I'm, so automatically, no matter what he does, he could do great things for the rest of his life. He automatically burns. That's some bullshit. I'm like, going to burn in hell? Uh, I don't even get to go to where the green room of hell is. I can't do an Andy Kindler. I don't like hell too much heat. I'm down here with Hitler. <laughs> I would spit coffee. <laughs> and that's when I was just like, you know what? I think all of this is bullshit and it's people. Who knows? I, I'm not saying that there isn't something. I'm just saying. I'm just saying it's very convenient that it would be right. so persuasive <clears throat> to make people do the things you want them to do now by saying, here's the punishment you're going to get if you don't get this one man to put blessed water on your forehead when you're a baby or whatever it is. It's yeah, it's, it's a really intense thing to put on a kid. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I had a fucking stations of the cross. Are oh you kidding me? Brutal. That brutal. was like torture. Brutal. They, I went to Catholic school for 12 years and I mean, I remember the videos. I remember one time when I was in um, uh, high school, we watched around Easter time. We watched like a stations of the cross video and it Wait, was, what? <laughs> was we, a video of like Jesus going through the stations. It was the stations. Yeah. Like acted out, but acted out in a really weird like theater way where everybody had these like big wooden masks on. 
Oh, like no. Like everybody, Jesus, everybody. They had these big wooden, like, sort of interpretive masks on. And it was so fucking disturbing. Like, I remember me and my... <laughs> like, f- Mum and Sean's Catholic church. <laughs> yeah, it it's was like... horrifying. Yeah, it was really creepy. And I remember me and my friend, like... like Crying? No. Well, <laughs> I remember me and my friend making fun of it. But, like, making fun of it in the way of being, like... What the fuck, man? You know, like, yeah. like we were laughing at it, but there was all the the foundation for the jokes were all like, "What are they doing to us right now? Yeah. Why are they doing this?" I had such hell paranoia as a child. I had such sin paranoia. I would go to my mom and I would say, I "Remember when I was in seventh grade? Seventh grade, I went to a dance and there was this really hot girl who had leather boots and a leather jacket, which meant she was a whore." Slut. <laughs> yeah, and I remember, and she was older than me. She was, I, th- I think I was 11 or 12 and she was 14. So she was really a whore. <laughs> uh, and um, we danced uh, a slow dance. And I, I, it was the first bold move as a man that I, I'd ever made. I, I, I started kissing her neck and she was, it was hot. She was sweating. <laughs> so I was getting all the sweat in my mouth. And I remember I went home to my mom and and I had I thought I got AIDS from drinking the girl's sweat. And I was like, and if I didn't get a disease or some sort of punishment disease or whatever, uh, I then I was going to go to hell and I had to go confess this because I acted in sin. I would go to confession and I'd say things like, by the way, I noticed that a few times already I've said punishment disease i hope everybody listening understands that i'm saying that's crazy like i was wrong yeah, for yeah. thinking that yeah i just want to clarify that yeah, yeah. uh <laughs> we get it we get it we get you because it's insane yeah. like yeah, you don't have to clarify it because any normal person would just be like that's deeply fucked yeah but like yeah. for us that was that was the setup it was that was the setup it my was. father and i i think i've told you the story we watched one night we watched the serpent and the rainbow which is your standard like uh like you know, almost movie. like it's a it's a voodoo zombie movie yeah. that's almost like um anthropologically based mm-hmm. um and then at one point one of the native women and the sign this you know the guy that's down there studying the voodoo or whatever they have sex under a waterfall my father got up and stormed out of the room because it was my father and i watching this movie like wow this is crazy and like having a great time right. And when the sex started, he got up and slapped his newspaper down and stormed out like, good night. And so it's like, <laughs> I feel dirty and the movie's dirty and he g- won't even be around. Like, right. it, I've never, I, I think I've maybe have talked around the slight topic of, of sex with my father maybe three times in my lifetime. And I'm over 40. Right. It's I've crazy. never, ever, literally never, ever once talked about sex with my dad. With I'm, your dad? Never. My mom was the one that taught me the birds and the bees as a kid. She showed me these books mm. that were meant for kids. <laughs> with the people with wooden faces? <laughs> yeah, there were people with wooden faces. <laughs> Having sex. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, remember, I remember very vividly reading the book and going, ew, that's not how it happens. Yeah. I was really grossed it out by it. It can't be this. Yeah. Uh, Please. So, but, I, but my dad and I have never, ever, ever talked about anything sexual nothing not once the only thing sexual i've ever said my dad's seen my stand-up where i've talked about sex and he's been in the audience but that's not a direct thing right the only direct sexual thing i've ever said to my father was we were driving in a car when i was a child and a woman on the side of the road was bending over and her cleavage was hanging out and she was sweaty 
because she was bicycling. <laughs> and I was with my cousin, John, and my parents, and I exclaimed, oh, my God, look at those tits. <laughs> because as a 12-year-old boy, I was so overcome with horniness that I had to exclaim that. Sure. And my dad thought that was funny. Yeah. My dad thought that was really funny. That's the only sex talk my dad and I <laughs> have ever had. For all I know, he thinks I still don't know how it works. <laughs> I think the only... The only sex act I've ever had with my dad is we were playing Trivial Pursuit one night and there was a question about a columnist that used to be in Playboy and he knew the answer right away. And then he turned to me and goes, are you disappointed in me? <laughs> <laughs> and he was half joking and I think half serious. And I was like, great. if you didn't answer that, I would have known you were a liar. Like I'm, I'm, it's fine. And I was like in my 30s. It wasn't like I was a kid. Sure. That sure. and then my cousin, I had this cousin that was constantly getting knocked up when she was like, not married and very young and one time my dad just like my mom goes well you know i won't say her name but so and so's pregnant again my dad goes jesus is she a seahorse and that's the <laughs> that's it that's as sexual as any topic has ever been yeah yeah we, yeah we we again very catholic uh household growing up my dad's a deacon uh in oh, the catholic church you got to is, read a lot in front of the people yeah he still does he he's yeah he's pretty heavily involved and he's a step Deacon's step below priest, for those of you that don't know, if my mom ever were to die, my dad would be allowed to become a priest. Uh, and I think he would. I don't think he would get remarried. I think he would finish the, the journey. But, uh, you know. <laughs> Some call it a journey. Yeah, a journey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's incredibly righteous, though. He doesn't, um, he doesn't put it on anybody. You could talk to either of my parents for hours. You'd never in a million years know that they were religious people. Right. They would never preach it to you. They're not, they're not, and they're not typically Catholic. They're not condemning of homosexuals or you know, they don't do all that shit. They go to church. They do their best to be good people. They love God and, and they try to live a decent life. And yeah. they're which, Italian, right? They are Italian. Yeah, I think it's that culture. It's minor Irish Catholic. And it's that same thing where when they were growing up, I think it was just so much more common of like you didn't. It was just in their lives. That's how you were raised. It was right. ki it was kind of based on your your nationality or whatever. Yeah. I mean, there's an interesting thing about, you know, the, the same Italian upbringing that's instilled unhealthy fear of death in me uh there's an interesting thing about that i i i, I only say italian culture because i can't speak to the other cultures because this is the one i was raised in um there's an acceptance of almost everything um it's just kind of like yeah you do your thing and i'm not gonna talk to you about it whatever man i don't care it's like that mob thing yeah like it's like the way mobsters hang out with priests and they're <laughs> Both parties are just like, just we won't talk about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to talk about <laughs> yeah, it. It's okay. You know, so I think that's maybe what is part of what lent it to their being more open-minded, I think, than the average person cut from the cloth that they're cut from. But um, but I will say, um, that all being said, stringent, uh, uh, not stringent, but a, but a pretty strict Catholic upbringing, and just such fear, I want to get back to the sin thing, such fear of the afterlife damnation. I mean, I was confessing things like I had impure thoughts. I, mean, I was doing like 1950s style confessions right. as a kid, you know, right. impure thoughts three times this week, impure acts, which at that age, I wasn't masturbating. That meant like I gave somebody the finger. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Or whatever. Um, well, yeah, because at that age, realistically, 
you have to make stuff up when you're in confession. It, confession is such an like this archaic, weird that thing sliding back in the and the screen between. Or at least that's how it was for us. It was that's like that's how this, it was for us. It was we, oh, they old, had the face to face option. That was weird. There though. was an option to go face to face, and I was like, I'm never doing that. Face to face freaked me out. We did that one time. Yeah. That was like Vatican II stuff. Yeah, <laughs> that was like guitar yeah. mask shit. It was like yeah. Um, but but the other version, I was so obsessed with like getting it right, and then like getting it right in terms of like reporting enough sins. So like when you're eight years old going to confession or whenever your first confession is, you're making shit up. It's like, I didn't even know what impure thoughts really meant. I, you know, I never made them. I never made them up. I was as far back as I can remember. I was so paranoid about everything <laughs> that I was going to burn in hell forever that I would just, I was like overly confessing. I'd go in and, and come out with small penance but I'd go in thinking he's going to throw like the fucking book at me today. You know what I mean? Like, and then I'd come out with like two Hail Marys because it, in retrospect, it was like, it was nothing what I was confessing, but it was, that's how I think even the priest was like, this kid's fucking paranoid. Well, you know, it, but also that it's like the early brainwashing of like, of understand how bad you are report, yeah. report on yourself and know how bad you are because the state, here's the stakes. I remember uh, my thing was kind of opposite where I, I knew I was bad. Like I remember looking at a, at a booklet that was all about gossip and how, what a sin gossip was and mm -hmm. talking about people and what you meant and your words and all that kind of stuff. And I just <laughs> like, was, that's something our family did constantly is like you sit at the kitchen table and people make tea and you sit around and talk shit about your relatives. And that's, you know, my grandma called it reporting the news. It was gossiping, right. but I, was like, oh, I'm a bad person for yeah. liking that and doing it and talking about it. And my thing was always like, truly like trying to impress Jesus. It was this thing of like, yep. I had this this delusion of grandeur of like, if I can be good enough, he might come back today. Like <laughs> I want him to show up at my church That's in so front great. of my people. That was like <laughs> the idea I had where I was like, we can do this, you guys. It was like that uh -huh. thing. But after a while you start to realize like, like it, almost felt like what am i getting out of this because after you know you go to enough stations of the cross and it's like i i can't believe people still want to do it after like 12 years 12 years i went to grammar school i went to catholic school for six years and that first round of stations of the cross it was like torture i think it was three hours long you're on your knees most of the time it stinks like mm. incense yeah. and the whole thing's about a guy that walked to his death like it's so fucking dark it's crazy dark. It's crazy dark. And yet it was always my favorite part of the Jesus movies. I remember <laughs> as a kid watching um, the greatest story ever told with my parents on Easter weekend and saying to my mom, mommy, is it a sin that my favorite part is, is the crucifixion? Because that was, <laughs> it wasn't like I wanted to see Jesus killed. It was just, that was the exciting, as a kid, that's an exciting part in a movie. It's the part where there's violence. That's your act. Craziness. That's your act break. Yeah, I mean it's a hell of an ending. You're yes. like, whoa, shit. The ultimate Deus Ex Machina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I and I remember being so disturbed, but with myself for for liking that part. And now I realize, like, no, it's just good cinema. Right. <laughs> it's just the good part of the movie. Yeah, it was so, all building toward that. Yeah, it's that's, action. It's it's the end exactly. I had the same but, thing with we had a the book of uh, the Amityville Horror in our school library, which which you did isn't that hilarious? And there was an old Wait, in nun. Ca did you go to in Catholic yes. school? Yes, yes. And so 
I found that one day and I used to check it out like every week. And my, yeah. this old nun who looked like the Crypt Keeper used to get mad at me because I was constantly, I couldn't get enough of the Amityville Horror. And I was like, there's something wrong with me. Then I started loving the idea that there was something wrong with me. That as opposed to this thing of, I'm going to bring get Jesus to show up in Petaluma at my, at St. Right. Vincent's church. That instead it was like, oh, I, you know, like I'm fascinated by murder and by death and by right. demons and all these things. And it was purely because it was taboo. And it was the whole thing of like, yeah, that's more exciting than trying to sit there and pray it all away. Well, that's the thing. I'm fascinated by death. It's, it is a fascination. As, as afraid as I am with death, I mean, terribly afraid. I mean, I, I'm talking, I lay in bed and vividly imagine what it would be like to have a massive heart attack in, the, in that moment. Currently, I do this. I lay there and I'm like, probably die from a heart attack. What is a heart attack? Okay. <laughs> what would that be like? Would it just come on? Probably feel like tight. And I, I, get, I get so far down that road that I'm like, I, I, I start to panic a little bit. Yeah. Um, but it's a fascination because the other thing I do uh, besides be terrified by it, is go on Wikipedia and read how a person died. I find people I admire. Well, how did this guy die? What happened? Was it justified? Was it a justified death? Did he smoke himself to death? I can live with that. Or was he? did he just die unfairly? I can't live with that. And You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'll find myself reading Wikipedia pages and going, how could this guy have died at 43? This is terrible. Oh, thank God it was cirrhosis. Okay, there was a reason. I can, I can, there's some logic to all this. Because right. all of it is logic to this fucking equation and why do we go and all that. Um, and it's terrible. Then I go on YouTube and I try to find last interviews. I do that a lot. Yeah. Which is sick. It's sick. It's not, though. It's fascinating. It's th that's just it. It's like, that's why people, that they say that's why people smoke. It's like you get to flirt with death. You have a little moment of that where you're like, fuck it. I'm doing it. I'm going there. And I'm not only not going to fear it or be careful of it, I'm going to go there. I'm going to go all right. the way in. Right. Well, it's it's funny. I never fully realized that until there was an episode of Marin where he talks about how the whole episode is about he, like, sponsors Danny Trejo yeah, yeah. in AA or whatever. And the whole episode's about his addictions, his past addictions. And he says, at the, he talks at the beginning of the episode about like the all night binge of dr booze and coke and seeing that sun come up and realizing you won, like you beat death. Yeah. You didn't die. Yeah. And look, I've had my wild nights and I've, I never thought of it like that. But when he said that, I was like, oh my God, is that what it is? Subconsciously, I think that's what it is. It's saying, fuck you, health and yeah. safety and rules and possible, <laughs> you know, Grim Reaper. Yes. You know, I'm going to do this. I saw a book. I remember seeing a book, I think when I was a teenager, that was about all the, um, I'm going to forget the the name of it, but it's the um, the stuff that they put in advertising that, that the sub... sub, sub subliminal? Yes, yeah, subliminal messages. Subliminal, yes. And they show like... And it, it confused me so much at first and for a long time. They show the subliminal messages of like in liquor ads when they used to, there used to be like skulls in the ice cubes or whatever. Right. And it was this whole thing of that people are fascinated by and very drawn to that idea of you are going to flirt with death. You are going to touch there and then walk away from it. That's like a, it's, it's a very primal basic thing that human beings right. have right. that they can't turn away from it because it is the 
ultimate fear. You know, it's like, I'm afraid of raccoons or whatever, but it's like, ultimately what it is, is you're afraid of dying of a raccoon bite or whatever. Sure. And well, and here's the thing too, like, and I'm sure this is a, a theory that has been much, much more eloquently stated by people far, far smarter than I am. Well, let's just see. Um, but, you know, part of me wonders, is that urge to do these self-destructive things your higher existence calling you home? Is it, the, is it that multidimensional reality where there are these multiple planes and you're this spiritual being up here that, you know, when you go to sleep at night, the astral projection, you leave your body, you go back to the home plane, and then you return down here during the day to drive your basically flesh car around. You know what I mean? <laughs> Until you park it again at night and then you go back. Um, I met psychics that really believe that that's what it is. It's not ever dreaming. It's transporting to someplace else, leaving your body. Maybe that's what that flirtation with death is. Maybe it's your higher consciousness saying, fuck this, man, let's get out of here. This that is stupid. Like, we got a whole crazy thing where we can fly and walk through walls, <laughs> and it's like the Matrix. It's amazing up there. Let's go. What are we uh, doing down here? That is fascinating, and as you were explaining it, it kind of made me dizzy. Like, it, it's <laughs> like trying to, like the flesh car thing where it's like, wait, what the fuck? But it makes me think, like, if we are these spiritual beings or pure light that fly or whatever, wouldn't we do it better than, like, wouldn't we do it better than like having 17 drinks at the Tiki Tea? You know what I mean? Or like, or smoking Marlboro well, Reds? But here's the thing. You, the reason I think we wouldn't do it better is because there's, there's a, it's not a conscious thing. If it was a conscious thing, you'd do it better. If it was a conscious thing, you'd walk into the ocean, do that weird thing where they just keep walking yes. and the water just keeps getting Virginia deeper. Virginia Wolf style, you, you just kind of take it as a, <laughs> you just go into it with your eyes open. Yeah. You never yeah. close your eyes as you got into the water. <laughs> Horrifying. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, I think if you had a full, fully conscious idea of this, sure, maybe you would do it better, but you don't. It's like, it, it is like when you get into your car. When you get into your car, you're not as... You're not as aware up here as you are the rest of the time because you're so focused on driving the car and not crashing. Yes. Everything is... So maybe when we come into this body, it's just so focused on controlling this fucking body like that Meet Dave movie with Eddie Murphy. <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> I, I never swear saw to God, it. I love that movie. <laughs> I never saw it's it. It's funny. Is it? It is funny. Look, I stand by <laughs> Eddie Murphy no matter what. I, I own Norbit. I think Norbit's fucking hilarious. <laughs> and I get mad at people when they shit on it. It's I know. It's funny, man. He's a genius. Yeah, people go, what? Huh? You think this is funny? It's like, yeah, it's Eddie Murphy dating himself dressed up as a fat <laughs> black lady. It's fucking hilarious. Uh, yeah, I actually don't care. I could just watch Eddie Murphy like winding his watch. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's totally him. Exactly. Um, but, but you know what I'm saying? Like maybe, you know, it, you plug into this thing. I have a friend. And it's a lesser. It's like the Matrix. They plug in. Yes, that makes sense And to they me. have to be. They have to be awake, awoken or awakened in a certain way before they finally realize like, oh my God, I can do all this with my body over here. Yes. And that makes sense to me either on the very literal way that you mean it, that like we are these pure light beings and for whatever reason we're in meat cars, meat body cars, <laughs> flesh cars, flesh cars. Sorry. Um, That's which that, by the way. That's the most Pete Holmes sounding thing I've ever said in my flesh life. Flesh cars? Yeah. This is your flesh car. <laughs> you drive it around and it's 
<laughs> Get yourself a spiritual pine tree to hang on yeah. the rearview mirror. You go to the mall. That's traffic. <laughs> it's literally I could hear his voice. Everything. We work a lot. We're at work a lot. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, well, I was just going to say my friend Bradford got into a really terrible car accident when he was in his early 20s and he got basically hit head on by a semi. Right. And he had a near uh, he had a death experience. He was out for a while. And he remembers all of it. And he has told me about it. And it's super amazing. And he basically went to a place where there were two beings of light who said, don't freak out. And this is kind of what it's all about. And like, if you knew my friend Bradford, he is the chillest person. He's mm. hilarious. Um, and he's just, and he's very, um, I can't really explain it. He's just kind of an, a very open, aware, keyed in person. Right. Um, that's that's very like kind of zen, low key all the time. Right. And I think it's because, and I think he thinks it's because he kind of got a peek behind this curtain in in a way. And absolutely, like I think all things are possible. I really do. Like the way our brains are, we were just talking about that in the room today. Of like, like your brain is this thing. Scientists don't know how it works except for like five percent of it or whatever. I know. So it could be anything. When you when you hit it a certain way, it makes you look at these things that actually, you know, maybe they were. It was a poster for a sci-fi movie he saw when he was eight years old, and that's just what he's seeing. It could be anything. It, it could be that. It could be a thing that your brain self-programs that yeah. says, "Okay, when you die, this is what you need to see." Yeah. So you don't. Well, I freak out. You're dead. I mean, you know, right. but you know, this is this is the most pleasing shutdown process for you. Right. You know, we've all heard the scientists say that, the, you know, your body goes through the shutdown process. You see the light. I'll tell you this. I have a friend that was pronounced legally dead for a short period of time and then re rejuvenated. Is that the right word? <laughs> no. No. Was resuscitated? Resuscitated. Rejuvenated. Like rejuvenated he had beautiful mean? skin. <laughs> okay. Like he was young again. <laughs> uh, not good with words. Uh, yeah, resuscitated. And uh, he was like, I didn't see shit. Mm. <laughs> that means he's going to hell. Yeah. It's funny. I was like, okay. That... And you're like, lose my number. Never talk to me again. <laughs> no, I, I loved him so much. And it made me so <laughs> sad that he said that. I was just like, God damn it. I don't need to hear this. But what about the stories of the people that float up above the operating table and they hear the whole conversation and they're being resusc resuscitated as they're floating away and then they get brought back? I like, think, I mean, to, again, look, it could be, wow, that's what it is. It could also be when you're in that state of I'm just about to fall asleep and you're having the half awake, half asleep dream and all the elements of the room are part of that dream. I mean, we've all been there. You're yeah, on the couch on a true. Sunday. It's 3 p.m. You hit that just about to doze off place, and you're having an almost awake dream where the movie you're watching is part of it. You're hearing things. Oh, my God, I do that so much. I yeah. fall asleep in front of the TV so much, and I've had the most fucked up dreams that end up being about, like, the slap chop or whatever right. because that's actually what my brain yeah. is hearing, but yeah. it's somehow incorporating it into, like, weird shit where we're all at work or... <laughs> It's so irritating. But you know what I was going to say yeah. is, well, I've had, I've had ghostly encounters. I have a super good story well, about. Like what? Uh, well, I lived in a haunted house when I was in college with three girls, my three friends. And one weekend, well, here's what happened. So one day my friend used to fall asleep on the couch all the time. Um, and one night I had this nightmare and it was, 
very bland, but it was just, it was that I heard someone on our front porch and I walked up to the front door and we had, it was like an old house. So there was like, it was a front door with a glass, like a window at sure. the top. Yeah. And I looked out that window and there's a mother and a daughter standing on our front porch. Fuck you. The <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> and the daughter had braids and the mother was saying to the daughter, it's okay, we're just going to stand here for a little while. I don't think he saw us. And they had a suitcase. So that was the dream. And I that was all that happened in the dream. But when I woke up, I couldn't breathe. I was super freaked out. I was really upset for the mother and the daughter. It was like this whole thing. And I was, I was, it was very upsetting. And I got up and I opened my bedroom door, which opened up onto the living room. And my friend Patty was asleep on the couch, on the living room couch. And so my opening my bedroom door woke her up. And when she woke up, she screamed kind uh -huh. of and went, oh, my God, like that. And I go and she goes, oh, I just had the worst dream. And I go, were you dreaming about the mother and the daughter on the front porch? And she goes, oh, my God, why did you say that? And she started crying. <laughs> and that is what she was dreaming about. What? Yes. What? So that is what she was dreaming about. And we had this thing where we were just standing there, like give, getting the chills. So that fucking weekend, they all leave town. This is the kind of stuff when you tell a story, you're like, I don't know how I didn't see this coming because Jesus it's so crazy. Christ. So they all leave fucking town and I'm there by myself. And that night I go to bed and I'll, I, it just, I go get in bed and I'm laying there and I'm, uh, I am not falling asleep and I'm not falling asleep and whatever. And I, I tell this knowing that there is a possibility I went to sleep and all of this was some kind of very strange lucid dream or it was a dream dream or whatever. But I will say just from my own, as the witness to my own experience, I was not asleep. So I'm laying there and I can't go to sleep and I'm staring at the wall and I'm kind of starting to get freaked out. I am in this house by myself, right. whatever. I hear... Uh, footsteps in the hallway, in the hallway, in the back hallway. Come and on. I, and I hear, at first I'm like, that's just a noise. And then it's like distinct footsteps like this. And so I'm laying there and my back is to the room. I'm facing the wall. And there was a door right next to my bed that opened onto the bathroom. So there's two doors in my room, the one right. to the living room and the one to the bathroom. And there was two doors on that bathroom, the one to my room and the one to that hallway where I was hearing the footsteps. I hear that bathroom door open. I hear three footsteps go across the bathroom floor on the linoleum. And at this point, as I'm hearing that, cause I was like, it could be anything, it could be anything. Those are fucking human footsteps. There's a fully grown person in this house. Holy shit, this is where I die. And it's like at each step going, it's this growing panic, but I'm frozen in my bed like, I'm, I, I know the panic you're talking about, like the the complete full body pins and needles. I can't fucking move. Yes, be, and I know exactly what you mean. But not in that. Not in. The, it was not a. You know when you you're asleep and sometimes you can't move and it freaks you out and in the, it's like partly right. a dream and you're like I want to get up from this bed and you can't and that's that weird when you're kind of like uh, in between dreaming and waking up and you're kind right. of like coming out. Maybe they say that that's like coming out of a state, a deep sleep and into like the higher stages of sleep. But this was not that right. This was full panic. Yeah. Can't breathe. Can't inhale. Literally thinking this is how I die. I can't fucking believe I'm going to get murdered. This is bullshit. Like it was those kinds of thoughts. Right. I hear my, the bedroom door open. I hear two feet steps on the carpeting in my room and then 
the side of my bed where it was a single, it was a single bed, which is the saddest part of the story. Um, <laughs> my back's to the room. The there's pressure that goes down so that I am in like this frozen position, uh, facing the wall, and and pressure goes down on the bed behind like me, like someone sat. sat down on the bed, and I tipped back. At with that weight and I'm literally just like not breathing and staring at this wall like these are my last moments and then I feel an arm go around this part of me and an arm go under me and start squeezing 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 and I'm like <gasps> and then it was over I was like I was it was over it was gone the weight was gone I wasn't tipped back anymore I was just like like that I think I was either coming up from that position or I was like, it was like click and it was over. Shut the fuck I call my up. fucking sister. It's like 3.45 in the morning or something like that. And I'm like- This is my literally jaw open. For yeah. the first time in my life, literally my like jaw dropped. Yeah. And my, I can't believe My this. sister came and got me. She was so fucking pissed at me. She lived across town. Thank God she was there. And she, I was like, I can't be in this house by myself anymore. And we, a lot of weird things happened in that house that we never put together because we were drunk all the time and we were like, oh, party in the USA. But like, we would have people stay, the, stay at the house and they would get up in the morning and be like, why the fuck were you doing dishes in the middle of the night? And we'd be like, I didn't do it. But no one ever came together and went, Every time someone stays over, they get mad at us for doing dishes in the middle of the night and no one's doing it. Like we weren't connecting any of these pieces. Oh my God. There was one day where we were, me and my roommate both got migraines so bad and I've never had a migraine in my life and never had one since. We were in that bedroom, flat out, laid out, couldn't open our eyes, couldn't see. My sister had to come over again and take us both to like to the emergency room because we didn't, something was wrong with us. Like we were in like severe like brain pain it was insane and now i realize looking back it was a fucking haunted house and something really fucked up was happening this is my theory family lived there mom father daughter dad was doing inappropriate shit with the kid mom and daughter tried to escape they all ended up dead except for well murder suicide and that ghost was the dad going back to the little girl's room in the middle of the night yeah that's my theory that is very likely except for that they were in the dream that i had the the mother daughter it seemed like they were escaping from something else bad like they were on that porch thinking that was their that was the place they should go and actually that was the place where they were murdered or something bad happened. See, I thought of it as, I mean, you had the dream, you know better than me, but I, I thought of it as they're trying to get away from the guy in the house. And she's saying, he didn't see us leave, sweetie. Like, daddy's awake um, in there. I was thinking they but, were coming up, but that's very true. They could have, like, I was looking, because the weird thing was, I think I was so upset in that dream because I was in the his position. I was in the house looking out the window at them. I think that's why it was so freaky. That's what I that's exactly how I see it. Yeah. He's in the house. Yeah. She's like, he didn't see us, don't worry. Oh no, he did. He did. And here's where everybody dies. And everyone gets a big death hug. Yeah. In my room. It yeah. was really crazy. It's and that's fucking so scary. Yeah. It was super it was super insane. Oh my God. That's serious. That's like bone chilling story. Now here's the crazy part. Uh as frightening as I thought that was, complete also at the same time relief 
oh, there's ghosts. It's real. Can, <laughs> there's something else after. Yes. This. Well, but you know what? I it's, like, it's such a duality to the th- or, or or just a double sided coin. Well, you it's know? like saying there's more is possible. I think that's always comforting, even if it's like something horrifying or weird or like you're saying, like you carry chains for the rest of your life or whatever. Right. But that it's not just awesome clouds and high-fiving Jesus or burning, like that there's other things that could possibly going on. Yeah, I used to have a bit about um, about when, like when you'd watch the Twilight Zone or something. Yeah, Twilight Zone was big on this. There'd be like episodes where a lady would just be in a log cabin and she'd be like, oh, where, why am I here? And like <laughs> Abraham Lincoln would be there and he would just keep talking in riddles the whole time. And then the big twist at the end would be like, she's dead. She's in the afterlife, and he's now leading her into, you know, whatever. Right. And they were That's always That's what that, Jacob's Ladder was based on, yeah, that episode. <laughs> yeah. I'm making this up. That wasn't a real episode. But it was, there was elements. It was always something like that. Yeah. Not always, but those just episodes were like that. surreal and creepy and unnerving. Yeah. Not even creepy and unnerving, just uh, like, just, but just like, this is weird. Why is this happening? This is a strange scenario. And then all of a sudden, it's like, it's because you're dead. And here... Or it'd be like a soldier in Abe Lincoln. Mr. President, it's an honor to be in your presence, sir. No, I've already died. So have you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's like one of those things. Yes. Um, but like, but there's always that moment where the character who's died, who's recently died, freaks out a little bit or has like a moment of the startling, like, no, no, no. Or they'll do an episode where death comes uh, in the form of Robert Redford. Yeah. You know, <laughs> And takes the woman away and she's like, I don't... And offers a man a million dollars to have sex with his wife. <laughs> yeah. Here's a million. I'm going to bang your wife. And she's dead. And I'll hold my scythe the whole time. <laughs> yeah. And like, but these people were, would always resist. And when, and it's like, what are you resisting? You know that it gets to go on to the next thing. If somebody came in this If Robert Redford came in this room right now and said, Joe, I am death. You've treated me long enough. We're leaving. There would literally be no part of me that would be like, wait, hold on. The only thing, even a little bit, would be like... But you haven't written any of your monologues. <laughs> Get your work done, done my first. my monologues for work. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like, there'd be the part of me that's like, can I just, can I just call my mom? Like, right. just let her know that I'm going to be okay. Like, that, that'd be it. I'd be like, let's fucking... Let her know that you're going to be okay. okay. You died. Yeah, but... <laughs> But that's the thing. In five years or 20 years, I'll see you over there. Yeah, yeah. We're going to go on this new supernatural adventure right now, and you'll be there too. It's going to be great. Who doesn't want that? I don't get it. I don't, well, can I tell you just from this my... This is bullshit here. <laughs> this is utter bullshit. Look all at of these this. gorgeous curtains. You have it yeah. good. Target. Um, I had a near-death experience, as you know, very recently. Yes. And I think part of the shock, I mean, obviously there there are people who either don't think of it or don't want to think of it or whatever. But there is that part of it where uh, you, my near-death experience, for anybody who gives a shit about me, is uh, I was at the Mohawk uh, in South by Southwest when that guy drove up the street and yes. plowed down 25 people. Yeah. Uh, I was standing a foot away and it was, it, and I was standing in the back of the line that he hit first and I moments before he did it. And it, I feel very strangely lucky and like I truly escaped death and it was very strange. Right. And I've never had an experience like that before. So direct. Right. Um, part of it is this, 
sensation and i imagine that you know like we're also talking about movies where this is half fake so whatever but it's that it's such a surreal sensation to have something not just out of the ordinary but the worst possible thing that could happen happen that you can't like it you can't even it's like the whole world changes you Mm -hmm. know what i mean and i think that's part of it is that you you don't we i will the last thing I was thinking of was anything like that. We were standing there listening to X, you know, like talking yeah. about the show we just did and riffing and fucking around. And like, and then the world exploded. And it's that yeah. kind of, no, I don't think people are ready because even as much as you obsess about it, when something really happens, it's so shocking, you know? It's terribly shocking. And it also lets you, well, I think it's shocking because it makes you realize it can happen at any moment. It can happen at you any know, second. There's that horrible, it was, might have been the absolute worst thing I've ever read in the news uh, as far as like stuff like this is concerned. It's all horrible, obviously, yeah. but this one, I was just like, oh my God. It was a, a fucking bachelorette party. The bride and her five oh, or six yeah. bachelorettes. Oh, yeah, in the limo? In the limo, and the, the limo yeah. catches fire and they all burn to death. Yeah. It's just like, Jesus Christ. Horrifying. Like, talk about, like, didn't see that coming from a mile away. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, just horrible. That there's, was up in the Bay Area. Yeah. 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 There's, there's, I mean, that's, and that's what's so scary is the randomness of it all. And that and, you can't, you would never predict that. Like, you sitting in, in, in your bed going, maybe a heart attack and trying to run scenarios. Right. Which is, I think everyone does that. I think that's why I love, like, serial killer stuff is because it's like, I want to try to figure out what possibly could happen. So if it starts to happen, there's something I could do about it or I would be prepared or this wouldn't be the most alien thing in the world to me. Sure. But there's no real way to do that when it is your reality, when no. it starts to truly unfold in reality. No, there isn't. There isn't. Which I think is, I'm a huge horror movie fan, funny enough, as scared of dying as I am. Um, and that's why I don't like, um, I think that's probably why I don't like uh, serial killer horror movies that much? You don't? I don't dislike all of them. You know, I love the Halloween movies and um, I love Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> um, so there are ones where it's just a guy killing people and <laughs> he's crazy that I enjoy. But um, my, my favorite horror movies are like The Exorcist, In the Mouth of Madness, supernatural, demonic shit. Mm-hmm. Again, for dual reason. Uh, one is it's not that real to me. Right. So I can escape in it and get lost in it. Guy slashing people's throats because he's nuts is real. Yeah. I can see that on the news. It's too much of a reality check. And then the flip side of that is, oh, demons, devils. Oh, maybe there's an afterlife. That's kind of comforting, even though the devil's inside a 12-year-old girl right now. <laughs> That's another bit I used to have where about, about I, I want to believe in the afterlife so badly that if I had a daughter and the priest was like, she's got the devil in her. I'd be like, yeah, like a little bit. <laughs> Just to be like, okay, we know, we know it's coming. But here's the thing: even if my daughter dies from the demon possession, it's okay. She's going to heaven. Yeah, there's a thing. True. There's another. That's what I don't. I don't understand. Like people that firmly believe in it, crying and getting upset when there's death. It's like if you really believe there's this next thing, you'll see them. But it's, you Soon. know what it is? Because people don't have proof. Like, we have proof that people go into the ground and stay there forever. So it's super easy to believe that that's it. And, the, and that's an easy thing to kind of, like, 
really contemplate and freak out on because that's terrible and it's you know it's like the ultimate loss yeah it's you know things being over but (laughs) (laughs) i have a story that's the equal opposite of the one i told you before that kind of goes hand in hand with that that you might like is it uh, a mother and daughter actually being on your porch (laughs) (laughs) no well similar (laughs) what is it my our next door neighbor uh, when i was like 12 um her name was joyce withington and she was diagnosed with breast cancer and uh, it got bad very quickly and, uh, she didn't want to die in the hospital. So she, they moved a, a, a hospital bed into their front room and mm-hmm. she just laid there yeah. and basically spent her final days in the front room of her house. And my mom was an RN. So my mom would go over there, especially in the end, um, when she was close to being close to dying, my mom would go there and take like the night shift, you know, cause, and, um, and they, the Withingtons, their grandma lived in a mobile home next door to them. So, mm. um, and that her name was Nani. And she was, you know, it, they were a great family. And it was a super humongous tragedy and terrible. And so my mom was there uh, when, on Joyce Withington's, on her last day there, uh, right. alive. And my mom was a psychiatric nurse. And my mom was a super no-shit gal. Like, she, she was not a romantic. She was not a new age person at all. She was very kind of like, she's very much about being a critical thinker. She was, right. you know, very science oriented. She was not right. one for tales. And sure. this is her story. So she stayed the night with Joyce and, you know, just trying to keep her comfortable. And she fell asleep next to her. And uh, she woke up in the morning and Joyce was talking and she hadn't talked in weeks. And she, her eyes were open and she was saying stuff and she was reaching toward the sliding glass door that was that that was her bed was right next to that went to the to the porch that went to their backyard and she was reaching out and smiling and like talking and looking really beatifically happy and my mom watched her for a little while and then she just put her hand down and closed her eyes and then soon after died so so they you know, the ambulance comes and takes her away. And my mom is uh, sitting there with Nani, who's that was her daughter. And they're sitting in the kitchen and, you know, just sitting there drinking tea and crying and the whole thing. And Nani says, um, it was so strange because an hour before this happened, my sister in Michigan called me and she said, whatever Nani's real name was, like Marion or something. She said, Marion, I just woke up from his dream. So Nani's husband, Joyce's father, died when she was like 25. Mm-hmm. And so the aunt, Nani's sister, who called her from Michigan, said, I had this dream that Jack went up to the back sliding glass door at Joyce's house and went and got her. Jesus Christ. And my mom was like, what? And then she said, yeah, she that like explained everything that my mom saw on her side. The aunt dreamed it that it was the father coming to get Joyce to take her away. Jesus, God. That's amazing. Uh-huh. That's amazing. Uh-huh. And I think my mom told us that story because because of that. Because it was like she would never, she wasn't like that. You know what I mean? Like she wouldn't, she wouldn't want to tell a story like that just to be like, and Jesus is real or whatever. It was like she was, my mom was fucking floored. They both were floored. They cried together. And it was this kind of thing of like, what? 
whatever. But what a beautiful thought that this yes. woman who had suffered for so long, her father came and fucking got her. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. I think it's important to to find a little beauty in stories like that. I, I don't like, look, I'm not a big believer. Uh, and uh, I lean far harder in the atheist direction than in the other one. But I really can't stand when people aren't open at all to stories like that. You know what I mean? Like, because we, none of us know, we can't prove any of this stuff. Right. And I don't like when people are like, fuck you. It's not real idiot. You know right. what I mean? It's like, come on, man. There's a million people that are not stupid, podunk, back swamp fucking morons. Not to say you're a moron just because you live in a swamp. <laughs> not generalizing but you know oh, what i'm saying think of the genius that lives in a swamp yeah. how sad that is yeah. he's just uh, stuck there yeah i just thought of that like he's like building a rocket ship like that billy bob thornton movie <laughs> he's like, um but yeah it's like you got to stay open to stuff like that you got to stay open if for nothing else to to bring it full circle uh it's inspiring it makes you want to have discussion it's comforting and it's a good thing to, to think about. And it doesn't mean you're tricking yourself or fooling yourself or bullshitting yourself. Let go of all that nonsense of like, oh man, I'm not going to fucking kid myself. <laughs> I'm not doing that shit. I'm better than that. Let go of that. Well, man. because that's a version it's, of kidding yourself. I have exactly. to say, it's like oversimplifying in this way of I'm, I'm intelligent, so I'm going to cut away all these possibility and say this is how it is. Where it's yeah. like anybody who ever says this is how it is is full of fucking shit. It's exactly. They don't know. No it's, one knows. It's the scene in Swingers where, uh, uh, um, who's the lady from The Closer? Uh, Kira. Kira Sedgwick. Yeah, <laughs> where Kira Sedgwick says to Campbell Scott, "I can't believe I knew Campbell Scott's name, but I didn't know Kira Sedgwick's you, name." I'm a big fan of both. I just, I, I. I'm, well, you knew The Closer. That's yeah. what's important. Uh, but it's the scene in in swing in swinger not swingers singles fuck I'm fucking this all up I never saw sing, uh, swingers so I was like all right Kira yeah. Sedgwick yeah. was in this it's the scene in singles where Campbell Scott goes up to Kira Sedgwick to hit on her in the bar and gives her that whole honesty rap and then she goes I think your pitch is that you don't have a pitch you're the guy that acts like he doesn't have a thing and that's really your thing. It's the same thing. Yeah. It's the guy. You're the guy that says you don't worry about this stuff or you don't believe in any of it. None of it ever crosses your mind because it's just for a bunch of idiots. But that's just your pitch, and it's bullshit. We should go over a few questions before we wrap up. Uh, we got some time left. This is a little longer than usual, but I, I knew I wanted to have you on because I knew it would be a good it would be a good discussion. You could I'm, tell I've been hugged by a ghost before. <laughs> you knew. Hugged by a ghost. That's your new TV show. <laughs> I want to tell you a thing, a funny thing, and then we'll do the questions. I'm almost scared you're not going to think this is funny. <laughs> this is what I like about you so much. I said to Jamie the other day, I feel like I have a very brotherly, sisterly relationship with Karen. And Jamie said, yeah, me too. Jamie Lee, who's a comic who's great that we work with as well. And Jamie said, yeah, me too. I feel like we all feel like that. And I said, I really like Karen because she calls me on my shit. <laughs> And Jamie's like, yeah, yeah, she's great. And I go, no, no, Jamie, I, I have to confess something to you because I was driving Jamie home from work. And I go, remember today in the room when we were going over the monologue and I put my head back and Karen said <laughs> that I was rolling my eyes like a 13-year-old? I was like, I was, I was rolling my eyes like a 13-year-old. <laughs> I knew it! <laughs> and I totally <laughs> denied it. 
But I wasn't like rolling my eyes at you like, fuck you, Karen. <laughs> it was such a long day and I it was know. so stressed. And my head just did an organic thing of like, I don't want to talk about this anymore. And I threw my head back and you totally called me on it. <laughs> and nobody else did. And I was like, fuck, she really gets it. She gets That's me. That's because I was the one talking. It was like, how dare your head not stay up the whole time? I love that you admitted that. That's fucking genius. Kudos to you. I would have never admitted that if I got caught like that. But here's the thing. Well, I didn't admit it in the moment. That's I lied right. in the moment. Who cares? I almost pulled if it was you aside. Four years later. <laughs> I almost pulled you aside at work today to admit it. And I and I swear to God, I didn't I didn't wait to admit it on the on the podcast to have like a gimmicky thing. I just waited but buy to, our t shirts. <laughs> yeah, but our t shirts with me rolling my head back on them. Uh, but I did wait to do it here because I was like, oh man, if you pull her aside at work, it's gonna become this whole thing like, can I talk to you? And then everybody else sees you do that. <laughs> It's just, just save it for later. It'll be fun, and it's a good thing. It's well, and a good also, exercise you know, we never get to talk about stuff like that, but in that room, we talk about shit so much, and it's really like it's hard to discuss ideas for hours at a time, and that's all we fucking do. We argue logic. We argue jokes. We argue these things, and it goes. It never ends, and like no. there is that thing where it's like I get that where you just – you just want to be like, I just want this. I want what I want. And I just want the discussion to be over. That's very understandable and human or just kind of like, can we just be done with talking about this? Well, it's it's this is the hard when it's the hardest. And this is what happened in that moment when you know where another person is going with what they're saying. And all you want to do is just go, I get it. I get it. I get it. <laughs> like, let's just not. I got you. I got you. But you can't do that. Right. And in that moment, I failed. <laughs> and my head shot back because my head was going, I know what you're saying. <laughs> but that's kind of the beauty of you is you are not, I prefer a head roll and an honest this over like, no, that's cool. I That's the worst thing in the world is when people aren't up front. With exactly. Like, it's because it's understandable. Exactly, exactly. I can't stand, oh, that's cool. I can't stand the placaters. I can't stand the diplomats. I can't stand the people that roll over. I just can't. And also, not only can I, I not stand, stand that, I really enjoy going back and forth with you. It's super fucking fun because you yeah. think you know where I'm going. Oftentimes, I'm like, I'm excited to be like, hey, guess what, motherfucker? You have no idea where I'm going <laughs> right now. That's the fun of it, you know? I know. I know. And that's, uh, I, I will openly admit right now, that's a flaw I have is thinking I know exactly where somebody's going all the time. That's all comics. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is. It, it is, is all of us. Because it's the um, observational thing where it's like, I watch this, I see it, I know what people do, I know the patterns of speaking. Right. I know what, you know. But this is exactly why, I know I keep saying this, but this is exactly why everything you're saying about us going back and forth, why I knew this would be such a good discussion. I was excited when you picked the afterlife. I've been, I let the guests, I don't always mention this on the show, but I let the guests pick the topic. I, I wrote a list up of topics. And I keep expanding. But I send that to the guests because now I'm sending you a list of stuff I'm interested in. So if you pick one of those things that you're interested in, now we're both interested in the same thing. Yeah. Uh, and I was waiting for somebody to pick the after. Everybody kept skipping it. Everybody. We've done six fucking episodes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> person after person. I remember Pat Walsh was disappointed because I sent him the list. And he go, I go, what do you want to talk about? And he goes, Joe... Let's go with that sweet old easy lob in of dating. <laughs> and I go, 
we can. I already did that with Kurt Braunohler, and he was like a little upset. He was like, God damn it. Well, and that I, was my first pick, too. Yeah, I That's know. Because everybody wants to talk about that. It's a great one. It's, it's, it's a re- the There's best. a reason why you want to talk about yeah. it. Yeah. But I was so excited somebody finally picked this one. Um, and this is also the first ever episode where we have it's our longest episode ever. Yeah. Um, and this is our first nighttime episode. Uh, <laughs> and uh, this is the first time we ever have questions from listeners which is exciting i told people today here's what we're talking about tweet me some questions and they responded can't do everybody obviously i'll just try to go through these quickly um would you rather go to a stereotypical cloud floor heaven (laughs) with your identity intact Uh. or a heaven where there's no identity slash ego i think that's such a great question oh that comes from at the human lee on twitter follow that person if you like um, I think that's a great question because I think ego is such a big part of it. It's like it's like what I was saying in the intro. Let's say we do lead many separate lives over different lifetimes and reincarnation and whatever. And they talked about this in True Detective. You don't remember any of them, really. Right. You might have glimpses or flashes, but you don't remember any of them. And that's really a hell in and of itself. You don't get to carry forward the consciousness. Uh, yeah, no, ego all the way. I want to be in the cloud floor heaven where everybody looks exactly the way I want them to look. Uh, I want every girl I've had sex with to look her peak up there uh, so I can hit on all of them all over again. You know, I want everybody to be it's healthy. heaven, you don't have to hit on them. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I don't know. Well, their heaven, it means I don't hit on them. <laughs> and my heaven is I get to have sex. It's autumn. Sex. They're, they're coming to you. They're floating on their cloud over to you automatically. Yeah. The, but uh, there's also the thing of, I was actually thinking about this today because I feel like I would pick that cloud heaven too, only also because I'm also very fascinated with the idea of getting to stand on clouds, which yeah. I know is really stupid, but that's kind of part of the selling point where I'm it's like, I'd love to just stand around up there in clouds. That looks would be like, so much fun. Looks like it would feel good on your feet. Looks yeah. like you could eat it. It'd be, it'd be it'd probably taste taste good. Yeah. It'd be kind of sugary. Yeah. But at the same time, they say that the idea of self and ego is the hell that we live in. If we could let go of self and ego, that's kind of like a Buddhist thing or I... I don't know. Some I don't know where I got that. What website I got that from? But being able to let go of this identity of here's right. my story. This is where I'm from. These are the the things that have happened to me. If you can let that go, that is the release. That release is enables the freedom, and it's the way or the path. I'm not. I understand. No, I, I I got you. I got you. Well, at the humanly to answer your question, I guess ultimately cloud floor. Cloud floor for uh, sure. Second. Uh, second place would be the defending your life scenario where you at least remember the life you graduated forward from. That yes. would be good too. And tons of spaghetti. Yeah. That was my favorite part of that whole movie. It made me laugh so hard. <laughs> it's I love that movie Everybody so much. eating a shit ton of spaghetti. Yeah. It's, it, come over to my hotel and we can paint it. I, it's, it's so funny, <laughs> it's that movie. It's so good. Uh, okay, this comes from at, at Christoph Rees. Uh, again on Twitter. At Christopher Chris, Reeve? Christopher it says Christoph Rees. Okay. No, no, not Reeve. Rees with a Z. Um, this is a very personal one for me. Do it, I think he's kind of being funny, but it's actually a good question. Do adopted people meet their dead adopted family or dead biological family in the afterlife? Yes, for sure. I'm a, well, I think he's saying either or. Which, which is it? They say you meet your family. Are you going to meet your adopted family? Are you going to meet your 
blood family. The people that raised you, probably. I th- I agree. People right? that people that raised me. Easy. If it's your blood family, it's just some people that it would look like people standing around at an Olive Garden or whatever. Like yes. where you'd have no connection. Yeah. It's like, did you read the Lovely Bones? That book about the girl that the teenage girl that gets murdered. No. Because it's first person. She dies. And there's, I remember reading it. It's a really good read. It's fast read or whatever. But there's this part when she first gets to, it's like heaven, but it's not really heaven. It's almost like a little bit of purgatory. And she's just standing there. And then her childhood dog comes up that had died when she was younger. And then it's all these dogs come up. And it was that thing of like it. I just thinking about when I was reading it, thinking about the idea that our first dog Pepsi would be the first person to greet me in heaven. Mm -hmm. I was like crying so hard and losing my mind because it's that. It's about the connection. It's a, to me, that's what heaven would be is like, is you coming back to your life and yourself and all the things that were great in this life, right. in this consciousness. I just had a vision of a guy coming up to me in heaven and being like, Joe, I'm your biological father, Pepsi. <laughs> that's a weird name. Well, well I'm a stripper. Egypt. I'm a yeah. male stripper from Egypt. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, here's one, the veal, at the, the veal chop, at the veal chop. I think that's a, if that's a safe man reference, you're awesome. Even if it's just a veal chop reference, I don't mind. Um, (laughs) have you ever, we already answered this. Have you ever induced a panic attack thinking about infinite, infinity, infinity, nothing? Yeah. We, we kind of already covered that. Yes. Uh, at the rock Dory with a Y, do you believe in that multidimensional shit? (laughs) Like the afterlife is in another dimension. We talked about that. Neither of us really believe in anything. We just hope for certain things, and I think we both agree that that's a possibility. Yeah, and the multidimensional thing makes me nauseous. I can't. I feel like I'm not smart enough. (laughs) It immediately makes me feel bad. Flashcards. Flashcards. Here's one from E. Jesus, how do you say this? E. E. Cummings. At at Dal at Datalamac. D a t e l e m a q u e. According to a 1907 study, average human body drops 21 Mm -hmm. grams moments after death. Could this be a soul? Egg on my face right now. I meant to research that to see whatever the scientific explanation was, and I forgot. Um, I don't know if there is a scientific explanation. I remember seeing that on a kind of like mysteries and all that shit that I watch on like the History Channel. And the guy that did that research... I don't think there was, he did it, he researched it where like there are all the possibilities of the things it could have been and I don't think that they ever found it. They think they really thought something was that 21 grams leaving the body when the body dies, they were like, we don't know was what this could 21 be. 21 grams is called 21 yeah. grams? Yeah, that's what that's about. I must have realized that when I watched it and I didn't remember. But wait a minute, Th- there has to be since then some scientists saying, no, it's probably this. I mean, there has to be. From so what I remember from the years mis- old that the study <laughs> mysteries at the museum, whatever stupid show I was watching, they have not. There, one of my favorite tales from the crypt stars Hank Azaria, and it's about a scientist played by I can't remember the actor's name. He's such a great actor. He was in a movie called The Front Page again with Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau. Um, he's in a bunch of stuff. You, if you saw him, you'd know him. Yeah. Um, but he plays a scientist who discovers the soul he finds the soul in the human body and he's trying to capture it before mm-hmm. it burns out and Hank Azaria and Tra- Hank Azaria and Travis Tritt play these night watchmen that he hires to like help him steal bodies from graves and Hank Azaria is like yeah we're going to take this schmuck's money you know like 
plays one of those guys. He basically plays he a Mo? Simpsons character. <laughs> I was yeah, say. it's really it's kind of funny. Like he plays like sort of a Simpsons <laughs> character. Anyway, it's about this uh, the soul being a physical thing. I believe in that. I don't know why. Um, I like it. I believe in. I don't know. I believe in the idea of a soul. I really do because th- there's a thing that humans have, obviously, that no other being does, uh, no other living being on the planet truly has. Um, but so maybe that's the soul. Maybe. I don't know. It's at least in an abstract sense, it is. Uh, this is from at Lloyd Dobler eighty nine. I know Lloyd Dobler eighty nine. Do you really? Yeah. Oh, is, I mean, I've never met do we know him? him. I've never met them in real life, but they're very. Uh, I talk to them on Twitter a lot. He's very nice, or she, I don't know. Okay, well, nice. If your consciousness continues after death, wouldn't that just be considered hell? I don't understand that question. I mean, if if he's saying that you're, just, I think he's saying it in that way of if you were and you're in a void, a space of nothingness, but you're you are still conscious. That's what I think it is. Like just literally trapped in blackness. Yeah, but aware. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it'd be hell. I mean, if there's other people there to talk to, it wouldn't be so bad, right? No, I think, but like the. By definition, it's there isn't. No, yeah, it's the void. Then that would be hell. That's it's like the end of two thousand one that I fucking hate so much, where he's just like dying in that room. Wait, wait, I never saw. I swear to God, I never saw two (laughs) thousand. Spoiler alert. Yeah, yeah, don't tell me, don't tell me the end. But I know something bad happens in the computer as a dick. Yeah. Something, (laughs) but I hear you. The void. Check check it out. It's a pretty good movie. I know. I have the DVD. I don't know why I've never watched it. I I tried to watch it once in college when I was high. Oh no no. it's just too fucking slow, the goddamn classical music. Let's go. <laughs> Come on, people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, at Craig Moore, uh, at Craig Moore 02, at Craig Moore 02, uh, this, he asks, do you think you'll go to heaven? If so, will you ask God why he cursed you with the shoulders of a jellyfish? <laughs> oh, no. Craig Moore. That's Craig Moore, you need to sit down and you need to knock it off. That's an ongoing joke from way back to when I first started doing Well, way back, the no shoulders thing has been a thing that's followed me around since I went to New York to do comedy. Okay. It started with Patrice O'Neill and Keith Robinson um, saying to me, I just love when things tie into other things. Patrice O'Neill, one of the most brilliant comic minds of all time, one of the... I miss him so fucking terribly. Somebody I really would consider a, a, a friend uh, over over the years in this business, and he's gone. He was absolutely at the forefront of my mind when I was writing that theory about why do the good leave us too soon? Mm-hmm. What is it? And he's somebody that I literally could believe being tapped and saying, you're... You're higher than that. Your perception's too high for here. Yeah. And that's why you get so frustrated with all of this. And that's why you're so combative with so many people. Because it, this isn't right for you. Come up here and we'll do this other thing. Just such a brilliant guy and so fucking funny. Um, and, but, and had his hangups and flaws. But I think that's a result of not clicking with the surroundings. You know right. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, he started the no shoulders thing um there were so many no bad not bad jokes meaning they weren't funny they were hilarious they were bad because they hurt <laughs> feeling uh that's comedy but we're so, for you. Um, I keep, you guys at home can't see this but there you go when your dad tries to have a man-to-man talk with you and he grabs you by the shoulder does his hand just do that <laughs> and slide down your whole body oh, uh um 
Keith Robinson would be like, you look like you, you still got the hanger from your shirt <laughs> in your shirt, stupid. <laughs> Stand up straight. Uh, you know, it, it was just ruthless. But uh, <laughs> but anyway, I love that. In fact, my IMDb bio, I haven't changed it because I didn't put it there. Is like a straight up bio that somebody wrote and it has all my credits and stuff. And then the last line is uh, Joe achieved all of these things despite the tragically tra- despite tragically being born without shoulders. Oh <laughs> and I was like, I'm not going to change it's it. It's so funny because I never thought that about you until right now when you're saying it. And God then it's like, it. wow, yeah. Oh, is it, <laughs> is it still that obvious? I think it's because you're wearing out. that woman's V-neck shirt. <laughs> It's probably Why what is it this is. a woman's V-neck shirt? I don't know. I think I don't think men Too should wear a V-neck v? shirt. It's that American Apparel I love weirdness. The I don't go crew neck. Crew neck accentuates my shoulder out of problem. Yeah. Oh, oh. I think my shoulders are getting better though because I've been doing shoulder exercises. Are they not? Is it? They're just. Still... Joe, I never noticed this before. <laughs> this is classic, like a comic finding a way in. Like this morning when Pete told me he doesn't have an impression of me yet. I can't, I almost wept with relief because it's like, okay, then I don't have some overhanging, hideous, outstanding thing that, that you could just be like, here's Kilgariff. This is what, I mean, you probably could, but he doesn't no, I got have nothing an impression. Either. Nothing. <laughs> he goes, except for that you're always trying to guess what I'm going to say before I say it. <laughs> Which See? is like, that's true. Um, well, I'll add getting shoulders to the list of things I need to achieve quickly before I die. You can get shoulder uh, implants. Oh God, I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> He's so weird. I'm just, I'm gonna just keep doing the curls. Just the keep, you curls. know what? Keep throwing your head back when I talk in the room. That'll do it. That's a good exercise. Yeah, neck a and big, shoulder. A big exercise. fat neck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and lastly, this is from this is an email from a guy named DJ Hardesty. DJ, if you're on Twitter, I don't know. Try to find him somehow. Um, and he's this is actually the first response when I said send me some questions. Um. What do you think about the theory that we're all just the same person living in different lives? For example, at one point you were the homeless man watching the rich, snooty businessman walk to work every day wishing you could be him. Then at another point, you were that same businessman looking down at the homeless man thinking, God, what a fuck up. Um, I don't know. I guess that speaks to the to the idea of of multiple realities and sort of the dimensional thing the multi-dimensional thing i don't know if it's as much an afterlife question as it is more a uh, a parallel reality type question i think if i'm understanding it correctly like you know over here you're the homeless man two ticks that way you're the rich guy right like the sliding doors thing if you made that decision or whatever i also the first thing i thought of with that is I've been both in this life. You know what right. I mean? I've like, I've been the person that gives the the creepy kid that's sitting on the sidewalk $20 and I've been the creepy kid sitting on the sidewalk. Like, I think there's, part of that is that kind of like, you know, I think that this life has so much potential and so, so much potential for good and bad. Right. There's so many directions you could go and there's so many ways you can come back from whatever that direction was that sure. you went. Um, sure. I think it's, I don't know, maybe that was too not of that question. It's I hate multiple universes. I, every time we <laughs> talked about it with True Detective, I hated it. I hate the idea of it. It just is, 
it's overwhelming. I have so much shit I'm not doing now. Piles of mail I'm not opening. The idea that there's another reality where it's three decisions away and it's slightly different is just like nauseating to me. Well, you don't have to think about it because the achieving you is in the other dimension doing everything. And you're <laughs> over here. Fucking it hanging, up. Just hanging out. You're <laughs> just hanging acting out. like I don't have to do shit. You're over here riffing on stage. <laughs> half-assing it. There's another Kilgariff over there with Ugh. like 10-minute essays <laughs> that, she's, that she's reeling out. No, I mean. She's a bore. Um, look, I think it's a great place for us to, to end because, you know, I don't think it matters whether you're ultimately doing enough in this life because you never will think you're doing enough. Yeah. doesn't matter if you're not doing enough because you'll still give yourself way too much credit. <laughs> That's what we all do. Yep. Uh, at the end of the day, all you can do is just try to do the most with the time you have and just try to be in the moment. Enjoy this. We don't know what the fuck is coming. We don't know what the fuck is around the corner. So be in the moment. Have fun with your friends. Sit down, have discussions like this. Don't be an asshole. Don't be a know-it-all because that kills discussion and that makes people not want to be around you and at the end of the day, that's all that really matters. People wanted to be around you. You had some fun and you had a good life. Thank you, Karen, for being here. Thank you. Uh, plug whatever you want. Um, I just think people should eat more fruit. Okay. Very good. Your album, buy it. Buy it uh, iTunes or Special Thing Records. It's Great. called Live at the Bootleg. It's, good it's a good time. And what's your Twitter? Karen Kilgareth. Okay, great. Uh, look her up, follow her, go see the shows if you haven't yet. She's amazing. Thank you for being here. Thank we'll you. see you guys. No, we, we'll hear you guys. Nope. No way. Neither. You'll hear us next time on Down with Joe DeRosa. Thanks. Bye. Bye.